Thank you for listening to our Chat Canna broadcast. This podcast was originally created for our YouTube channel and is being rebroadcast here for your convenience. We'd like to thank the folks at Canna RHX for providing this Chat Canna podcast. And good morning, everybody. We are one day away from Friday the 13th, but we pay no attention to such things. What we do pay attention to, though, is what a beautiful, brisk morning it was outside here today. This is Chat Canna, the edition for November the 12th of 2020. And I have bright, beautiful wheat stocks behind me here today because we are going to talk agriculture, but in a little different way. You see, of course, First of all, above me and to my right, uh, Veronica. So great to have you with us today, Veronica, because this is going to be a fun, fun interview. Veronica Michael from Prairie Products, of course, down in Fargo. And she, we got her away from all of her big chrome pots and pans down there processing <laughs> hemp. And this is great. And uh, we will uh, dig into this here today. Our special guest uh, carries my last name, uh, but there is no nepotism here, I promise you. Um, her name is Shauna Reitmeyer, and uh, she is one generation down for me in the family tree. Uh, but wow, what a career she has had. Um, she came back to, I can't believe it's been eight years since she, it seems like yesterday, um, since she has come back to Crookston and taken over the reins at the Northwest Mental Health Center in Crookston. When what a big position it is, and there's been so many changes there. But our focus today is that we want to talk about farmers and people in agriculture and the stresses and the things that come upon them in the troubled times that we're in, not just with what's going on this year, but just kind of generally in agriculture. You know, there's big amounts of money and there's big swings in the market and you know, raising kids is as tough as it is anywhere. This is not to say that farmers have tougher times raising kids, but just raising a kid is a tough thing today. And you see, you throw all these together uh, with the uncertainties in in uh, farm programs and the markets and the and uh, the taxes and maybe a little bit of uncertainty from Washington. I wouldn't want to enter that studio at all. And so then we have the issues of what's going on in people's minds. And that's, of course, where the mental health center comes in and uh, where they are really kind of specialists in, the, in that. And, of course, the focus here today, and that has been lately, is on the mental health of people in agriculture. And, Shauna, I'm just going to kind of let you take it from there because I know there's been, first of all, a whole lot of work done in this area because farmers seem to be the last to reach out and say, I, I think I need a little little help here. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely right. Our our farmers and and the egg community. I think we're we're born and raised and conditioned to be the Jill and Jack of all trades, right? We are self sufficient. You know, we're we're supposed to be the the mother, the father, the planner, the um, the mechanic, the medic. If you have um, animals, you have to pay. I mean, you, you just were taught right from the very beginning in this farming life. And I like to say this farming way of life, because this isn't, I think for a lot of our farmers, we don't even think about it as an industry. This is just how we grew up and who we are. It's in our bones. I mean, I'm a farm girl. I, I grew up in our crop farm family and, 
Um, so I think we're conditioned right away to feel like we have to do it all. And so asking for help is really hard because we're taught to do it all. Um, within our farms and and you raised it uh, you know just very perfectly John um, is the the stressors right that farmers are on under you you identified some of them um, you know commodity prices those swings in the market constantly um, the the profit margins do you have them or not and innovation do can I stay on top of innovation and in, in the industry that you're in right in um, in cannabis and hemp, you know, is forefront and in innovative um, work. And for farmers that want to diversify or be ahead of the game with technology, you got to have a profit margin in order to do that. And if you don't have that, that's going to add stress. And so do you stay behind um, and just try to maintain? And then let alone weather. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> You know, so so all of those totally kind of they just build on each other um, constantly, you know, for farmers. So I think that farmers are in a different situation than, say, the uh, the business owner or, you know, just the, the general, you know, person that's got my job that I've got to go to work and punch my clock eight to five and, and go home. I think it's different because it's a 24 seven job. I don't know. Would you agree with that? I mean, you're in, you're, you're living it right now. So. Well, and I kind of live in both worlds, you know, so I really do see the, see the difference and, you know, and, and of course, then there's one more uh, pressure that we haven't talked about and that's, you know, investors. Now farmers are so big that they often take in partners that are, you know, putting money in and sometimes they don't understand how farming kind of comes and goes or, or has to carry over. So it's one more pressure that comes along. So there's just all sorts of things. Very much. And there's a trickle effect too. So it's not just the farmer that's going on right there. It's the, insurance companies. I mean, and I think you saw that very loud and clear, at least in the Northwest Minnesota area. I don't know how far reaching your podcast goes, right? So you might have folks from all over the country that might, you know, are listening, but at least in, in the area where I'm in, in Northwest Minnesota, not this last harvest, but the previous year in 2019, the weather was huge and claims that were filed with insurance companies was huge. Um, so you have not only the farmer dealing with the stress, but you have the insurer that's maybe having to tell a farmer, boy, you don't have the coverage and I can't accept this claim. I got to deny a claim. And who wants to do that when you know it's the livelihood of somebody's you know, family or their business. Um, it trickles down to bankers. Can I lend? Can I not lend? Um, having to ask for the payment on loans that are that are coming in, um, implement dealers, you know, so, okay, I might be doing okay on selling used, you know, equipment, but buying brand new equipment, forget it, you know, when people are having a hard time. So it not only has that individual farmer, that family um, impact, but it does impact multiple people within a community. So then you have community impact as well. So it's just, this is the stress, right? That is on this whole way of life in this industry. So we think about the farmer very often because um, 
that's the, the, the front door, the front line of the agriculture world is with that farmer and doing that work, but it is huge. I mean, it's broader. There's not only the social, the community, but the economic impact. I gotta just keep going on, so. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so Veronica, the, we can't, we're not hearing you, Veronica. Oh, when you started to talk about the trickle down, one of the things I thought you might talk about too is the family. Because so often farm families aren't, you know, they're corporations in themselves. It's not just one person in that household working at that position. It's like everyone's working for the company and for the business. And I think that is another nuance when you, you are, you know, 24 seven working together on the business. Oh, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Veronica, because it's, it's the, that family is that microcosm. And in many instances, it's multi-generational. You know, you might have the grandparent with the father and then the son or the daughter that are working. And so you have not only just how does that business work and business relationships, but you're also bringing familial dynamics into the mix. Do you have in-laws, you know, working together? Do you have, you know, one son that wants to be in the farm or daughter um, and another one that doesn't? And, you know, is there equal roles? Are there, you know, different roles? And that's where I think communication is so critical um, within families that farm. Um, and keeping being as transparent as you can is is so important and planning, you know, and really laying it out with who's got who's the role, who has what role and responsibility within that farm business, because you also are bringing it home with you. There isn't a clear separation like, OK, when I walk in that door, um, what I just did during that day doesn't leave because you live on the farm, right? It's not like I get to go to the office, you know, in town and come home. It's right there with you. So one thing that was really interesting is that, and then the dynamic on children within farm families is, is really important too, because um, I, there was a focus group um, in a small community here in Northwest Minnesota um, with some faith leaders and um, they were focus group with children and kind of trying to gauge what were some of the stressors that these children were feeling. And um, nine out of 10 of the kids in the group were farm families and they were worried about their farm. So if we think that um, our children don't know what's going on in those families is, um, is inaccurate because they pick up, our kids are so in tune to what is going on in a family and the more you can be transparent and let them know what their job is it's mom and dad's job to worry about the finances that's not your job um your job is to go to school to do your chores, right? You've got the, maybe have a role in the farm to go feed the livestock or to um, do the household chores. Like these are your jobs. You need to get your homework done. You need to do your, your share, but mom and dad over here are gonna figure this out. That you don't have to worry about um, is so important with kids as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing, though, like you said, how uh, in tune children are to what's happening around them. You know, if you want to know the scoop, talk to a little person in a household. Um, but yeah, kids definitely they're picking up all of that. Another thing that I, I'm glad that you brought up was just that dinner table, because I'm sure every dinner has a potential to turn into a business meeting um, and that changes the dynamics. Yeah. And I love the, the dinner table piece because I think you can turn the dinner table into something that really can help promote and um, reframe the stressors in the daily life that we have into something that is going to promote well-being. And so I love, and I think it's just perfect, John, that you're doing this right now. Um, and Veronica is, we're in November, right? And Thanksgiving is in November. And I think of Thanksgiving, you know, gratitude. And um, it's an opportunity when you sit down at the table to really talk about gratitude. So what is one thing that I'm grateful for? You know, can you go around the table and instead of, oh my gosh, this didn't work out, this you know piece of equipment broke today, I don't know how we're gonna pay this bill, everything's falling apart, like, you know, the chicken little, you know, the sky is falling kind of deal. You know, you can have that kind of perception but you can use those moments to flip that conversation into gratitude. What am I grateful for? Um, you know, that boy, I, I'm really grateful that, you know, I physically feel okay and I can climb underneath that tractor and fix that piece of equipment today when maybe my neighbor down the road doesn't have that ability and we can connect those dots. And especially with families, then when parents do that, what they're also doing is modeling that for their children so that they can then practice that, you know, in their own life. Um, and that is a huge piece because one of the, um, you know, and I don't know, kind of go all over the place, but I shared with John and he'll be able to share it is this personal self-care stool. Um, and um, there's these three components when we talk about self-care, there's a relational component a cognitive component and a physical component that and you know we've all sat on a stool at some point in time when we know it's not in balance and it's rocking um and um the goal is we'd love to have this stool as balanced as we can and so this gratitude this thought of gratitude it falls in that cognitive um component of this stool because when we're practicing gratitude we are focusing in on the positive emotions um, that um, can really help drive the outlook. There's choices. We can choose to think negative or think positive. And um, the choice of practicing gratitude on a daily basis can help us um, set the mood that we want to have. So, and I can I chat at some point on, on all of those um, different areas, but as we talked about that dining room table, it's a great place to practice gratitude in just a routine, natural way. You know, I loved the stool analogy that you just gave and thank you for that visual. So one thing that I think is a challenge for many of us is to talk about the future in a way that's also positive. You know, I love whenever gratitude comes up because I think that is like that first piece in starting to be open and express our emotions too. But I wonder 
how can we encourage people to also, you know, talk about the future, recognize some of their current worries, and still maintain that positive movement ahead? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Very much so, right? Because the root of anxiety is either worrying about the past or worrying about the future. And, um, and so there's this line of being realistic, right? You don't want to minimize the real things that are going on or the feelings that I have. Um, and so that's where we talk about planning. If you're thinking about the future and positive, that's about planning and setting realistic expectations. You know, many times we, you know, set these really huge astronomical goals for ourselves that really, are you going to be able to achieve those? And when we don't achieve them, it reinforces then this negative self-talk. We'll see, I can't do this, or this didn't work. I tried it and now and it doesn't work. And you can kind of go down that, that spiral. So setting, setting those, the future being thinking ahead is really important because it allows you to one, be prepared. It allows you to make sure you've got the resources. Do you have the time? Do you have the financial ability to do what you need to do? Um, But putting it all in realistic um, steps um, is really helpful. And that's where planning really comes into play because then you can be positive about, boy, look at we got a really solid plan here. And if all these things go um, the way we hope, then um, then we're going to have a really good result. In our current environment that we're in, what I like to do is tell people to maybe have a plan A and a plan B, right? Um, Do you have a contingency plan or a backup plan? Because we set an expectation based on plan A. And if plan A doesn't work, it can feed that cycle of um, that negative self-talk. See, I tried this and it didn't work, so it's not going to work again. So if you start thinking about, boy, we could go down multiple paths to get to the same result. um, So that helps us with that change. And it helps us with some of the unpredictability of the future. I don't know if that answers your question a little bit. No, that was that was wonderful. You know, so I, of course, have a follow up. So <laughs> I like that you talked about really clearly that, you know, the past and future worries build in our anxiety. Um, I wonder, especially, you know, from a leadership point of view, from a family point of view, how are leaders in a farm family best able to give some information but not so much to the family so that you can like quell like you guys know where i'm getting at right mm. like how can you Wonderful. what what's that balance to give enough information to quell the future worry and give some detail but not i think mm. this is a leadership question as much as it is a family or interpersonal relationship question wow for me how i set it up at least and i just think of my own organization is we frame it in continuous quality improvement is what we do and so we create a culture of change within the organization or within the farm like putting that into a farm family right is that yes we know we've got core deadlines, we've got core deliverables, we've got a season for planting, we have a season for harvest, but we also know that we're going to 
take the information and adjust what we're doing um, based on the new information that we have. And so from a transparency sake within a family, if you can create that culture within a family that, you know what, here's what we know right now, this is what we can control there and you set it up. So when change happens, it, it rolls off, right? Like it, it's, it's helping, um, the kids know that, oh, we're going to plan B here. You know what? We're and here's plan A and here's plan B. Everybody in the family or in that farm business knows here's what we're planning. And so that you know that we can um, when we find out plan A isn't working, we're going to plan B, folks, and we plan for this, right? Now, there are the moments in time you can't plan everything, right? You can't engineer away all those things and then that's where you just base and so i kind of like like mantras you know like this uh this is gonna pass um you know what we're just we're gonna go with the flow um we're gonna see where this is gonna take us and the more you can build that kind of mindset builds the resiliency so when those moments come and feel like you're just been hit with a ton of bricks that you're going to be able to go with it and you're going to just be able to um, to roll with whatever happens. So you plan where you can and to be as mindful. So if you even from a planning perspective, think of, OK, what are our strengths? What are our opportunities? What are our weaknesses? What are the threats that are out there? Do you know strategic planning, doing a SWOT analysis, you know, within your own business helps you foresee a little bit, but you can't plan for everything. You can plan as much. We got it. What's you, you see, you snuck a psychological word in there. Now we got to go back for our listeners. You said SWAT, S W A T. So, what is let's tear that apart it, just for a second, it, right? So, it's O T, S W O T. Okay, yeah. So, it's a strategic planning tool that helps you identify what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses opportunities and threats is what it stands for and it's a great tool to start asking yourselves those questions from a family from a business and opportunities can be innovation um threats sometimes can turn into opportunities weaknesses can turn into opportunities or it just helps you know, like, boy, we really don't have a lot of resources here financially this year. So we're going to just stay maintaining. We're not going to grow this year. We're going to just maintain. Um, so this you know. is really like an extension of a pr- when we used to draw a line on a sheet and pros and cons. Here, yes, and cons. Yeah. It's just yeah. an extension yeah. of that really to kind of zero yeah. in more on on uh, benefits and and. Uh, see what could work so good all right you know SWAT is really nice too because it's one of those things where you can ask people at the table to each give one thing five or three but you can really get a lot of information and dig deep so I'm so glad that you brought that up I also love that you said that uh, you talked about this culture of change and building that in conversation about the past the future planning Um, that's really beautiful because I think that really like you said, builds resiliency. And one of the the best reasons or most important reasons why people from the Midwest are so cherished by employers. You know, we're often pretty resilient. We're really 
willing and able to pivot and be creative about the tools and the, the things we just have right in front of us. Mm -hmm. Very much. And it's hard. Change is really hard for people because we're rooted in stability. I mean, for the most part, we really like to do the same thing. So it's helping remind people where do they have the consistency and the stability. And some of that is just in daily routine, you know, and we talk a lot about that just under stress. Where do you build routine? And then the other stuff when we're changing is more comfortable. Um, I wouldn't say always comfortable because I think that whenever we're changing, there is going to be a bit of uncomfortability and it's recognizing that, right? Because we don't have growth and we don't learn without feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, yeah. I like what you said about routine. And one thing that I think is a challenge both um, in our work, you know, our business lives and our personal lives and our family lives is that is making that routine happen. Now, I'm going to use my words carefully here. <laughs> this has been a different year for people. Yeah. Um, there are things happening worldwide that have changed routines or drastically adjusted people's yeah. lives. What suggestions do you have to either rebuild routine or maintain routine in such an unusual um, time? Mm -hmm. Um. So I am a huge fan of Dr. Brene Brown. Love um, her. So I, <laughs> her seeing, I didn't um, know there was a book list that we were supposed to read before the meeting. <laughs> John, you didn't read. <laughs> Everyone should read her. Um, very great. Um, they're, they're back here somewhere <laughs> on my shelf. Um, but I love her saying of, you know what, if we can just believe that people are doing the best that they can is going to help just manage that expectation and then believe it for ourselves, right? Am I doing the best that I can? And for the most part, we are. And so, take you know, get those small wins. Don't expect that you know what, I'm going to set up this just, you know, complicated routine that's going to put my kid is going to be here for this time. I'm going to get on my online and I'm going to check my my email to, at this time. And then here in this next hour, this person's going to come in and help with my kids over here. And, and then we're going to go out and do chores. And then I'm going to run errands. Like we start putting in a schedule that is so rigid it can sometimes almost be the antithesis of what we're trying to create in just some some consistency so you gotta like if it's not working for your family because the joneses down the street or the johnsons down the street said i'm thinking of our area that you know this is their plan you know um the neighbor's plan does not have to be your plan you got to create what's going to work for you. You know, now, um, with that, though, also comes some intentionality, right? You've got to, in, in well-being, is driven by intention and setting intention. And so there is a bit of personal accountability. So just because, like, I'm doing the best that I can, but I'm not holding myself accountable, you know, 
then no, right? You know, you wanna, there is that line of accountability that you need to have in, in, in setting up some routines, but you don't wanna make it so complex that, you know, no one could possibly, you know, deliver on that because you're just gonna add more stress. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I wanna take a moment for two reasons. In our area of the country, there was a gentleman named Willard Brunel. And um, obviously, Shauna knows him a little yeah. too far out for you down in Fargo, Veronica. But he was he was a just he dedicated his life pretty much to helping his neighbors as a good Christian guy. And he passed away mm -hmm. through the midst of all of this terrible stuff that's going on. And his funeral was just last week, I think. Days are going by fast. But his he, he passed away earlier in the year. And finally, they had his funeral. Um, but. He was part of Farm Aid, and he would get called out at any time of the day or night to uh, go and physically assist farm families. I already got chills as I'm telling this story because the way he told it, and it's just a shame that we don't have a recording of him telling it. But he got called out one night about 2 o'clock in the morning where a family had got to the end. They were at desperation mode, and they were cattle, uh, actually dairy farmers. And they and he got to the farm, and in the barn were some milk cows and some calves, and there was not one straw of hay left, not one, and there was not even a straw of straw left. The cows had eaten the last straw of straw to try and get nourishment for their calves, and they were just on the verge of dying, but that's how far it got for this family before they reached out to their neighbor for some help. And then the neighbor got a hold of him, and that's how they got in the game. And of course, he was able to then, you know, in the middle of the night, called some people that he knew that got some of those tons of that big round ton of hay bale over there. And literally by morning, the cows were eating and they were getting other things going for this farm family. But, you know, I just, when he told this story, you know, you're just imagining that these cows had eaten even not their food, but I mean, just the straw in the barn uh, to try and find something to eat on um, uh, because it, it, just because the family couldn't find it in themselves to reach out and get some kind of help. You know, I love that you brought up Brene Brown and I like that you brought this story up, John, because uh, one of the reasons that I started reading Brene uh, Brown and what I love about her work is shame plays such a role in how we're able to reach out. Our shamefulness, our feelings of not being good enough, stop us from recognizing that we're just human, that we're just living in a ridiculous situation sometimes and that we need help. Um, and I feel like that is a perfect example of where shame is that limiting factor, that we have the Willards of the world around us that are willing to share so much, but it is so hard to ask for that first yeah. step of help. I mean, yeah. and I think we've all even seen that in our loving relationships, right? Like, you know, with mm. your siblings or with your parents um, yeah. and how difficult it is for to do that. So then to step out of our business um, and family it is a big blocker. What would you say to that? Oh, 
Completely. Shame is such a driver and shame feeds secrecy, you know, and when we live in secret, then it just it it just perpetuates that cycle. Right. And you pair that with then the agriculture mindset of I should be able to do it all myself, then um, it, it, it can feed then circumstances like John just mentioned. And, and so just a little side note, when I first took this job, I think um, it was within a matter of a couple weeks, Willard comes just showing up, knocking on my door. Um, and um, it told me all about the work that he did. And honestly, in this area was such a pioneer for outreach for farmers and farm aid that now you start seeing through the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, the mental health specialists, yes. yeah. the 24-7 mobile crisis teams, the work that I've been doing with you know other colleagues across the state and the country of raising the awareness around mental health in the agriculture community. Willard was ahead of his time. You know, what? and I think I was like, whoa, what is he doing? And people were a little skeptical. But when I look back now at what he did and where we are today, um, it, it's it's profound, I think. And so I'm really excited that we're now at a point that we're we're talking about this. And if I could even add Veronica, the shame feeds the stigma of people accessing help. You know, you keep hearing about stigma and actually a lot of advocates are starting to even reframe it. It's not stigma, it's discrimination. That people are so afraid of being discriminated against because of their mental health or substance use issues because in many instances they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. When we're not doing well with men our mental well-being that we self-medicate through alcohol, through other means and um, all of that then impacts not only the individual but it can impact your family, it can impact your farming industry. And so there's this whole, this connection of shame to stigma to discrimination and those then prevent people from reaching out and asking for the help when they need it. And it ties, I think, to that first leg of the stool is that social connectedness is the relational component. So had it not been a relationship with a neighbor that saw what was going on to make that phone call and to do that outreach, you know, who knows what would have happened, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. and in, our, in our world, we are hardwired as individuals to be connected with people. You know, we it, it is just, it is fundamental. You think, you think of babies, right? You know, in development, you get the baby that starts crawling and crawls away from their, their caregiver, their parent, their mother, whoever, and they turn around and they look, is mom still there? Is dad still there? Um, you know, we're connected to be together. And it's like, okay, yep, it's safe for me. I can keep going, but I know I can come back. So that's, I mean, that just gives such a great, that attachment is so important. And when we don't have connection and in our current world that we're in, you know, it's thank goodness for environments like this, that we have technology because we have to connect in other ways that we haven't been able to. And so, you know, having that virtual ability is critical 
It doesn't change that I can't get a hug from the people that I love. It doesn't change, you know, that the touch that's so important that's needed. Um, but we need to have those connections. And those would be like key places. I think of people that are really strong in their faith that go to church, right? And you are like all of a sudden saying, John, I'm not seeing you at church. And normally I'd see you. Like those are indicators to say, hmm, what's going on? It very likely can be, oh, it's that time of year and John's down in Arizona for the winter and you know, <laughs> it's coming back. But if you know John doesn't go to Arizona in the winter, you know, then you it's like who who is paying attention to pick up the phone and say, hey, I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks in church, John. Is everything OK? Are you well? What's happening? Hey, should we get a cup of coffee? Um, and it's that social connection that I think really helps then build um build that network for people to feel comfortable in being vulnerable that's the other big piece with Brene Brown's work is vulnerability it's the sharing that you know what yeah this has been a really hard couple weeks you know and um I just got some really bad news you know I'm not going to get you know renewal on this loan and I don't know how I'm going to pay this off and and opening the door and making it okay to have those conversations and sharing um with each other and peer-to-peer -peer is so important as well so important I'm glad that you also brought up um you know substance use I think I was reading in Time Magazine, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, but a 17% increase has happened across our nation in adult use of alcohol. And I think that's I, I that's very significant. But also, you know, I grew up in a small town also, Climax, Minnesota, where the cafe pub is that connectiveness place uh, outside of our churches. You know, those are the, the places where people are meeting, connecting, um, I wondered if you had numbers or suggestions for places where people could reach out if they wanted to talk about maybe concerns they might be having with alcohol or other drugs, or even just a place to talk that might be safe and free. You bet, you bet. No, we definitely have, because you know um, we're we're seeing an increase in that. And so I, I see that, John, you just put up the, so Northwestern Mental Health Center, we're in Northwest Minnesota and we serve, you know, six, we, well, we're, we're serving eight counties um, primarily, but we do have our 24 seven support and crisis line. And we have staff that are specially trained in substance use and mental health that can help, you know, uh, just answer questions or get you connected with additional resources or support if needed. The other thing, yeah, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is the national number um, that people can call. And again, you don't have to be just suicidal or having those thoughts to call that number. Um, it is something that they have access to resources across the country, um, at least in order to um, get you pointed in the right direction. I would also reach out to, um, you know, search for different substance use programs within the area. And if you, um, you know, because each community, each area has different resources and those communities, they would be able to help you um, find resources or even just 
reaching out to a local AA group. If, even if you're not open to starting AA or NA, they know those folks in those groups, they're connected. They know um, who some of those resources are to be able to go to. And those are free. So I have a question. I'm this farmer guy that, you know, just would never imagine that I need help, but I'm, I'm, I'm just having difficulty. And we talked about it, the stigma that we talked about and the stress and the, 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 there was one more word that we put on it there. The, uh, the, uh, so what experience should I get if I call your local number, for instance, uh, you know, is somebody going to give me the 20 hard questions of the day or how's it going to go? If, if I were to call that 800 number, you know, like, how does it go? If I, if I call that number, you know, do, I, do you start with my credit card and my driver's license or what, what happens? What, what's my right. So we have specially trained providers that, you know, they're going to ask, ask the phone and they're going to ask, you know, what your name, they're going to ask where you're from. Um, and they're gonna, you know, just, Hey, what's going on? What made you call today? You know, something must be really bugging you. If you, if you feel like you need to call and, you know, just, we want to be here to help and, and it's going to be then just a conversation They're in the midst of the dialogue. There's going to be some questions. They're going to ask, you know, do you have thoughts of suicide? Um, do you have thoughts of harming yourself or someone else? Um, oh, you do? Do you have a plan? Do you know how you're going to do that? Because that's going to help drive, is there, is this an immediate risk? Do we need to then do a more of an emergent outreach where we might need to call law enforcement? Um, we ask, you know, are you by yourself or do you have family with you? Is there somebody else that we could maybe help call to get you connected? Or, you know what, it sounds like maybe we could, I should, like to do an assessment so we can see that we can get you connected to the right service. And I could do that assessment over virtual. We could do it this way. So you can start with the phone and we do telemedicine. So we could do it over um, video if need be, or our team could come to you, you know, wherever you are. Um, sometimes people are in the emergency room at a hospital. Um, sometimes they're at their home and it's really just in normalizing. Yeah, this is a lot of stress that you're under and I, I can't imagine, you know, what you're going through, but there is some, there's some hope and there's some help. It, it isn't, you know what the insurance and credit card thing, that is the back end, you know? So the beauty in, um, with the work that we have here, um, with Northwestern mental health center is that, um, if you don't have the means to pay and you don't have insurance or you don't have, we have a grant that covers the cost of this. This is a free service to people um, if they don't have the means because we know how important it is. We have an initiative of zero suicide um, and we're working. Um, so all of the questions are designed based on evidence-based practices to ask the right questions so we can get people the resources that they need. So when you said, like, do you have a plan, is that a big kind of a marker? Because everybody once in a while says, you know, it'd just be easier if I just ended it all. Sure. But, but I mean, who, do, who hasn't thought of that when you've been really frustrated sometimes? But that's different than 
I have a specific plan. I put a knife aside. I've, I have a bottle of pills somewhere. Is that a kind of, that's a, is that a kind of a mark mark in the road that is one way or the other? And and it's the, a plan and then means, do I have the to carry it out? So that's the, yep, I've already got it. It's right here. And it's like, you know, how about I come on out and, you know, just let's talk about this a little bit more or, um, yeah, so that that's a huge marker. And we talk about this, and that's one of the other risks with farmers. Um, they farmers, have lots of means, lots of means. Of means. <laughs> they really do. And so, and that's the part with back to those social connections, that part of the stool. And it's uncomfortable, like talking to somebody about, you know, are you suicidal? Or do you have thoughts of yeah. killing yourself? That's a huge thing that makes us uncomfortable. And I remember the first time I asked those questions, but not in a clinical setting, right? It was somebody, you know, people that I care about. And, but it was my, my philosophy on this is I would rather ask than get the call that something happened to somebody. And I didn't do that. You know, that's just the hard part for me oh, is the, like, I yeah, I would rather ask the question. And so there's some really good resources. There's trainers within our region, but they're also online resources. There's a training called Question, Persuade, Refer, QPR. And it's like a 30-minute – wait, maybe I'm getting my – it's a short training, online training for a small amount of money. I can't remember if it was a $30 <laughs> or 30 minutes. So I know it's not a long and long investment in time and cost that you can go online and walk through this training. And it teaches us how do we ask these questions with our, with our loved ones? How do we try to persuade people for help and then refer them to the right place. So the training does not expect the the lay person, the friend, the family member to have the answers and to do the therapy. That's not what it is. It's really about how do I have the question so I can get them to the right place and you can just be an ongoing support. Sort of like if somebody's having a stroke, there's this the yeah. step one, step two, step three. It's kind yeah. of like and, yeah. and the thing is, bring $30, we're not sure how long you're going to stay. Is that the... Yeah. yeah right. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, that's really, that's that's a neat thing because I think it's, it's like CPR. If more people are armed out there to do that yeah. first piece, it's the first yeah. piece, right? Um, yeah. Then the professionals can take over from there, of course, all the time. So. Well, I'm glad you raised that, John, because there is another training. It's a little more in-depth because it gives people more knowledge about different types of mental health issues. And and that is called mental health first aid. And exactly what you said, we want to provide the mental health first aid like you would CPR, Mm. right? And so it's it's an evidence-based practice. It's nationally recognized. Um, There's, um, if anybody's a big Lady Gaga fan out there, I mean, she is a huge promote, promoter of this oh. with her foundation, Born This Way. When she does concerts across the country, she would set up and do like hundreds of people getting trained in mental health first aid. 
um, to then just build this out across the country. So we start tearing down that uncomfortability, tearing down the stigma and being able to start recognizing what we think wow, what's going on with this person, you know, and like, wow, you know, I've invited them over like how many times and they never come. Well, it's not about me. It's probably something, maybe they have really high anxiety and it's really uncomfortable for them. Maybe they just are really struggling with depression. And it's like, how do we just help again? People are doing the best that they can and accepting people for who they are. And then, um, you know, just being a, a continued resource for folks. So I'm glad you touched on the this um, suicide prevention work because I think that that's so critical because our farmers are at higher risk than other people because they have such lethal means. And um, that's where we talk about the means restriction is how do you remove the means from someone um, they are... Um, when they are having suicidal thoughts and not always thoughts always turn into action, but then the combination of substance use, when you start adding alcohol in is usually when we see people that die by suicide, there has been a very fast impulsive and it's usually within 10 to 15 minutes from when somebody is thinking about it and has that the means that the action happens and people die by suicide your window is so right. short okay. and then if you couple that with substance use you are not in the right frame of mind well you're not in the right frame of mind if you're thinking about dying by suicide but then you mm -hmm. add alcohol or drugs you then have lose this inhibition um you know so then it just it makes it even more lethal at that time. You know, I hope that um, this has been fascinating to have you today. And I hope that you can come back because I think it would be a, a great segment just to talk a little bit more about the mental health first aid. You know, um, yes. that is, I mean, as a tool, as where people can get access to that or anything that you would like to really promote. I, I think this conversation is so important, so timely. And, um, yeah, and there's yeah. so much uncertainty ahead in many places that I think just this would be mm -hmm. a great tool to help other people start thinking about. What do you think, John? Oh, 100%. Uh, you know, we could I could go on for hours just, you know, going through all of these things and to do this. One of my thoughts is it seems that every church body should have someone trained in this. You know, a lot of churches now, the bigger churches have a, a nurse that's kind of a uh, available to the congregation that yeah. that's one yeah. of their mich missions that they have but if they can't have that at least have somebody that has kind of a little bit of a specialty in this yeah. and uh is just aware of its members and then of course unfortunately everybody doesn't go to church anymore so you know right. that's only getting what 30 percent of the population maybe um but yeah. yeah it just seems to be that we need to be I'm more aware because they're just, especially with what's happened this year in the medical or the, you know, the, mm -hmm. uh, the craziness the that's gone on that way. And then the politics has seemed to cause some stress this year. And uh, yeah. we don't know where the future as a cruiser, you know, the cruise ship thing. I mean, I have people that are, that, that are threatening to, you know, that their life is over because they can't go cruising anymore. Um, just because, you know, there's, that's all in disarray, the cruise ship thing. And that was their life. 
Their life yeah. was on a cruise ship five or six times a year. That was where their friends were. That's where they met their people and literally where they wanted their life to end. They were, you know, they wanted their ashes to be spread on an island or somewhere that they had been in the world. And all that's yeah. kind of taken away from them now. So there's so many things to uh, consider here and to try and enlarge the family of Even. awareness. So mm -hmm. thank you. Very yeah. much, Shauna. And oh, I, you know, awesome. your dad. Your dad made a comment along here. By the way, he was watching you, oh. and uh, and we oh. have a thumb, thumbs up from him. So that's really neat that uh, that he. You know, I want to add one more thing. <laughs> I, I wanted to add one more thing. We, we got plenty of time. Don't take okay, your time. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the clock because I might have to jump. But okay. I, you know, one of the uh, reasons and passionate reasons many of us got involved in hemp was. Uh, medical, the ability for people who are struggling with an illness, a long-term um, issue around pain, or maybe even just the um, what comes with uh, chemotherapy. So this issue of mental health, um, of managing pain, I think just so fits into this, because this is really the core of why people across our country have been passing new regulation around um, hemp and thinking differently about it. Um, so that's that other piece I think is that death and dying piece, which is a very normative place and uh, a thing that we're all dealing with all the time. Are there some unique services or places to reach out to for those who are caregivers long-term or themselves struggling um, through this change of life? Yes, and you know, and I think that's again where this whole stigma of mental health is like, oh my gosh, people think of mental mental illness, right, as schizophrenia, bipolar, people that you know, uh, Jack Nicholson and one flew over the cuckoo's nest, kind of. I mean, that's the unfortunate. That's where you know the media you know, or, and we only hear about these awful instances of people, you know, running in with, in law enforcement, when we need to start thinking about mental well-being is this continuum, right, of, of our, we, our head is attached to our body, and we need to start, the same people that do mental health treatment are versed in dealing with people in transitional stages in their life. Caregivers, adjustment. Adjustment disorder is, you know, aside from like anxiety and depression is like the most common diagnosed mental illness in the world. But adjustment is one of the next kind of leading situational um, circumstances that people go through. You know, whether it's empty nesters, whether it is, you know, the loss from grief that hasn't turned into complicated grief, that's a whole different thing. Um, but Veronica, you know, to what you're talking about, my whole life is changing and I'm, I'm in that sandwich generation. I have my kids and my parents that you're having to try to, to manage and those are natural stressors. And so reaching out to um, a mental health professional to get some help because boy, we all at some point, so right, uh, one in five people at some point in their life will have a diagnosable mental health issue. I mean, so you just think about five people in your circle, one of you, <laughs> you have a diagnosable mental health issue, right? You know, that's yeah, pretty no. 
That's and it's really so significant. Yeah, you know, and that's, oh, go ahead. Sorry, we're all like talking. I'm so sorry, I'm interrupting you, but I I think this caregiving role is huge. You know, um, I have a mother who is caring for my 91 year old grandmother in a different way wow. during this time because not having access to bringing people from outside of our little network in. Um, yeah. And I think that there's a lot of families in our region who already maybe were on the farm taking care of someone in the family. And this has been an even more isolating time than than that, that experience even it already is. You bet. You know, and just reaching out just to have another ear, you know, um, and sometimes it's not diagnosable, but you just need somebody that isn't part of like the whole family. You want an outside perspective. You want to be able to vent what you need to vent and help put things in order. And it's like, I can't talk to my daughter because this also impacts my daughter or, you know, vice versa. You can't, you need that other person once in a while, especially if you don't have it. And you know what? Our friends are fabulous and they are our closest support, but they're usually our best cheerleaders. And when you really want an objective person to help you process through, that's, that's what therapists are for. I mean, we're help help to problem solve and to put it all into order. So, yeah. Best question to determine that person is just say, do I look fat in this? And if they say no, then don't ask them for any other advice. <laughs> very true very true oh man this oh. has been a wonderful hour the questions could go on but we oh, always limit goodness. it to about an hour because we know that people's time is so valuable shauna we must have you on again sometime veronica again i'm sure you would agree shauna please come back and i think it would be great to do us up sometime in january you know in the thick of it around mm -hmm. here and have another discussion about um, some tactics. All this stuff, yeah. Definitely. Oh, and there's a lot. You come into a new year, right? You know, yep. we've got people think resolutions. How do you how do you set your year for for intention? I think is great. So. Take a moment and tell us about the Northwest Mental Health Center, please. Oh, you bet. So Northwestern Mental Health Center is um, what's called a certified community behavioral health clinic. We are a one stop shop. Um, so if you come in, um, we have, I say, birth to end of life. We serve um, the full array and it's outpatient and community-based services. So there's some people that just really need help in their home. And we've got staff that go into people's home and to build skills and to put the therapeutic processes into place. Sometimes it's hard to apply what you've done in therapy. Um, we have medication management. We have a 24-7 mobile crisis team, and that support and crisis number gets you to that team. Um, and we also have a homeless program. So if we have people that have mental health issues and are homeless, a residential program, school-based care, um, we're located in primary care clinics across the region through great partnerships with uh, many primary care clinics. And, um, you know, it's just you can come and substance use, outpatient substance use treatment. We provide low intensity work. We have clinics in East Grand Forks and in Kirkston, our main clinics. But we are doing 
pretty much everything virtual now as well. So you don't, and that's the other beauty of farmers, right? You, um, people know my pickup. I don't want to park outside of a mental health agency. Exactly. People could be home now and get their care and not have to leave and still be able to talk to um, a professional as well. So kind of a one-stop shop, full array of outpatient community-based services throughout the Northwest Minnesota region. Wow. That's wonderful. You know, I just want to raise my hand to someone who regularly seeks mental health help. I um, feel like it's the reason I'm healthy is that I see um, a clinical psychologist once a month. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's important for those of us who are committed to our mental health to talk about our own experience and not ever yeah. feel ashamed. Um, so I'm so glad to hear that there's so many variety, such a variety of services and access to them. You bet. Wonderful. Well, Sharp, thank, thank you. you. We'll put you down in the green room. You can head out. We'll talk to you again sometime soon. And uh, Veronica will, and I will take a moment to uh, pick our stuff. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on our show again at Chat at Chat Canna soon sometime. You bet, John. Nice to meet you, Veronica. Be well, nice everyone. Bye-bye. Right. <laughs> wow, what a time that was, huh? She's awesome. Wow. Wow, that was wow. a, such a good discussion, John. Thank yeah. you for having her on the show well, today. I, I was this has been set up for like three weeks, and I've been looking <laughs> forward to it. And I'm so glad that you got away from your uh, pots and kettles there, as you call all of your processing equipment. And uh, it just turned out really, really, really great. I'm just, no, it did. It turned out really great. Um, so. I think that information is just so timely, and her practical approach to some real steps that you can take. I just thought were just fabulous. Yeah. I, I really got involved when Willard Brunel told that story about the, you know, the, the, the cow barn that just had nothing in it. And I just, I was overwhelmed because up to that point, I just thought, you know, hey, farmers, they don't need anything like that. I mean, because, you know, they, and, and I was just so that, that's the, that was my turning point about 10 years ago when I heard that story. So. You know, I had an experience recently where I got a call from a gentleman outside of um, Minot area um, who uh, they had a death in the family, really impacted the way they were going to harvest and dry their crop and reached out to another farm family that we're connected to, um, Jordan and Alyssa. They jumped right in and helped. And I think that is, you know, I think of the Willards of the world that have uh, paved the way for the things like that to happen, but the goodness of just the people in our region that are really willing to help um, yep. Yep. when they know someone is in distress. So that's right. That's so, right. Hey, I guess that should be the end of our show today. That, is to that encourage is the end people. of our show. Yeah, we taken yeah. we actually went over, but it's a minute. What's two minutes in today's world? Um, looking forward to seeing you on Monday if you're available. We will have a Have You Heard. And then we're on to another week of shows as we are approaching Thanksgiving here. And uh, I've got about this much snow on the ground. I don't know about you, but just a no, little bit. Of, we had a, it's kind of warm right now. We, everything is melted. It's a pretty, oh, okay. visually pretty day in Fargo. Mm -hmm. uh, it's right. a little cold. So. All right. You have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Right. Thank you. We'll leave you with the uh, poster for the Northwest Mental Health Center. And we will tell everybody, thank you for joining us for this version of Chat Canna.